Welcome to the Houghton Wesleyan Church this morning. I invite you to stand and join with me in the call of worship printed in your bulletin. And we'll be reading responsively. Praise the Lord. Who can proclaim the mighty acts of the Lord or fully declose, declare his praise? Remember us, O Lord, when you show favor to your people. Come to our aid when you save them. Please pray with me this morning. Heavenly Father, we all come today with our own issues, our own concerns, our own hurts. And we come today with varying degrees of trust and hope in you that we will have the strength and courage to face the things that we have to accomplish. I pray today that in the unloving, we will find your love. In the unjust, we will find your righteousness. And in the hopeless, we will find your hope. And I pray that you'll touch us with those truths this morning in your name. Amen.
Amen. Amen. Before you're seated, take a moment, share a word of grace, a word of greeting with others who are here in worship today. Give me. It is wonderful to see you as we gather for worship today, and uh, we know that God is here and is at work among us. Uh, There are a few things I want to highlight in the life of the church. Wednesday evening, our ministries are on regular schedule, but just note that the boys' club is having a father-son swim night up at the college pool, and so instead of meeting here, we'll meet up there uh, if you're part of that ministry. Next Sunday morning, we gather for worship again at 820, 940, and 11. And uh, you'll see an insert in your bulletin. Uh, Today we celebrate with churches around the world at the sanctity of human life and we give thanks to God for the gift of life and uh, we value life as God does and we declare that today. Also on the inside of that there is an invitation to a Valentine's banquet and you see information about that. There's a deadline of next Tuesday for registering and also if you're a college student, this is something college students are doing for uh, the Community members, if you are a college student and you would like to help with this dinner, uh, contact Pastor Todd and he will get you connected to that. There are a number of prayer concerns in the bulletin, as always, issues related to us locally as well as the world. And we do want to give thanks for the birth of another baby, and we're excited about that. Levi Benjamin Kitchen was born to Ben and Shannon and Sister Lindsay and grandparents Ken and Barb Bates, and we rejoice with them at this blessing and the gift of new life. I invite you to join with me in the prayer of confession that is printed in your bulletin. We pray in unison. We confess to you, Lord, what we are. We are not the people we like others to think we are. We are afraid to admit, even to ourselves, what lies in the depths of our souls. But we do not want to hide our true selves from you. We believe that you know us as we are, and yet you still love us. Help us not to shrink from self-knowledge. Teach us to respect ourselves for your sake. Give us the courage to put our trust in your guiding power. Raise us out of the paralysis of guilt and fear, and take us into the freedom and energy of forgiven people. And for those who through long habit Find forgiveness hard to accept. We ask that you would break their bondage and set them free. Through Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.
Please join me in the Old Testament reading found in Psalm 139. O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. You hem me in behind and before. You have laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast is the sum of them! Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. If only you would slay the wicked, O God! Away from me, you bloodthirsty men! They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And abhor those who rise up against you. I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. This is the word of the Lord. I invite the congregation to stand and join with me in the doxology as the ushers come forward. Heavenly Father, today let us be so grateful for all your goodness and generosity to us that we are good givers in return. In your precious name, amen.
As God's children, he calls us to pour out before him our burdens, the concerns of our hearts and our lives. We have the opportunity to do that now together. If you would like to pray at the altar, I invite you to do so. Gracious Heavenly Father, we, we come today declaring that we want to walk as children of your light. We want to, to live our lives connected to you and, and in your presence, and following your spirit and going where you lead us and moving as you direct us. Father, we we have to admit that even as we live with this desire, we also wrestle far too often with divided hearts. We feel burdened about the ongoing places in the world of war and where we see hatred and, and grief that just infects the earth. And yet too often we cling to these kinds of destructive behaviors. We talk about helping others, but often we're more interested in ourselves than anyone else. We proclaim the need for grace, and then we focus so much of our energy on on our own brand of justice. Father, help us to see how much we need you. Help us to realize what our divided hearts are doing to us and to others. And we pray that you will fill us with your spirit and that you would change us through your grace. On this Sunday, when we specifically think about the sanctity of human life, we pray that you would fill us with love and compassion for for the born and the unborn those who agree with us and and for those who do not. We pray that you will bring an end to the heinous disregard for life and all that you love that we see so prevalent in our world. And give to us and implant in this world a new passion for life. Father, as we gather in this place today, we are facing all kinds of stuff. Some of it is frightening to us. We're worried about where that diagnosis is going to lead, what that test is going to reveal. We're thinking about people we love who are going through some really difficult circumstances. We're thinking about people who are very dear to us who have died. We miss them. Life's just not the same without them. We're remembering the tenuous nature of some of our relationships. Will healing ever come? Am I willing to forgive? Can I ever be forgiven? 
or feeling apprehensive about the next steps of life, where we're going, how we're going to get there, where will we be in three months, six months, a year, five years? Lord, all of this, the uncertainty, the pain, the struggle, all of it is testing our faith in ways that we couldn't have imagined. And we declare today that we need you, that we're lost without you. We need your strength and your grace and your power in our lives and in each situation. Father, we continue to pray for people who are suffering in the war-torn places of the world. Those who've been uprooted from their homes, living as refugees, no food or water for children, for those who are most vulnerable, for innocent people who just find themselves at the wrong place at the wrong time. We ask that you will bring peace through your spirit. And we pray that the leaders of this world would be used by you in such a way that their compassion for their people outweighs lust for power and wealth. Father, teach us anew this day and every day all of your blessings in our lives. Help us to see you with new eyes and to know that you are the almighty God who loves us and cares for us and is at work when we see it And when we do not, we pray this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and the one who teaches us the model for prayer, which we now pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Please join me in the New Testament reading found in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. A call to persevere. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain, that is, his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, 
But let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. I've come to the conclusion that life is a journey of tension and paradox. Life is a journey of tension and paradox. 
We, we want to be emotional, but not too emotional. We want to be serious, but we don't want to be somber. We want to be friendly and caring, but we don't want to be clingy. We want to uh, be protective, but we don't want to be overbearing. Our, our lives are filled with, with living in the tension and the paradoxes of the extremes of our existence. And it's not just about life, it's about our faith as much too. Most everything connected to our faith is about tension and paradox and holding those things in balance. G.K. Chesterton said Christianity got, got over the, the struggle of, of combining furious opposites by keeping both and keeping them furious. And, and, and that's so true of so much of what it means to be a follower of Christ. And as I said last week, the, the answer to these tensions that we come up against, these seemingly opposite truths, is not one extreme or the other, though that's what we tend to hear from a lot of people. And it's not somewhere in the middle as if these things are half-truths. But it's both extremes. It's both and. This is true and this is true and, and we just simply have to figure out how to live in the tension and the paradox of both truths. And that's why over the course of these few weeks we're, we're looking at some of those truths, some of those paradoxes and those tensions. And today one more. It is a staple of the evangelical faith that that we come to Christ and make decisions about Christ as individuals. We, at some point in our lives, we have to decide, what am I going to do with Jesus? You have to make that decision for yourself. I have to make it for me. Am I going to surrender my life to Christ or hang on to it? Am I going to follow Christ or am I going to go my own way? We make that decision as individuals. We don't come to Christ in mass. It's not as though we, you were in maybe New York City, what, 1964, when the Beatles arrived, and you're walking down the street, and this crowd of people just, you sort of got sucked into this crowd of people. Next thing you know, you're in Shea Stadium, and they're singing, I want to hold your hand. And you're looking around going, I don't know how I got here, but this is kind of fun. We don't come to Christ like that. You know, the 8th century emperor Charlemagne baptized all of the peoples that he conquered, hoping to expand the kingdom. And all that revealed is that he really didn't understand Christianity. We come to Christ as individuals. We have to make a personal individual decision. God, God relates to us as individuals. He loves us as individual persons. That's why I wanted us to read Psalm 139. It begins, you have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You're familiar with all my ways. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. 
We come to Christ as individuals. It's a staple of our evangelical faith. And I would be surprised if any of us argue with that. But I suspect we might have a little bit different perspective about the truth at the other end. Because I've also come to realize as I read the scriptures that not only do we come to Christ as individuals, but our personal faith in Christ is proven by our commitment to the corporate body of Christ. And that's a hard thing for us sometimes to grab hold of. Because we tend to be independent people. I want to think about my own. I've got enough trouble worrying about my own life with Christ. I can't worry about anybody else's life with Christ. But we're connected. In the beginning part of of this section of, of Hebrews 10 that we just looked at. The writer talks about what has happened because Christ has come. He's gone to the cross. And, and he says Christ has torn the curtain between us and God. He has broken down the barriers between us and the Father. And the result of that is that we now have intimacy with God. And we are set free from our sins. And we're cleansed and we're made new and we're washed. And we have this wonderful personal relationship with Christ, with the Father through Christ. But I can't believe that the the cross and all that the coming of Christ means is only about our relationship with Christ. It is also about our relationship with each other. Restoring our relationships, connecting us to one another, creating us as the people of God. We have to remember the church is not a human idea, it's Christ's idea. Christ didn't just organize the church, he created the church. He started it, he founded it, it was all him. It wasn't as though he said, you know, those human beings are doing something kind of cool, I think I'll jump on board with that. It was all him. It's his idea. I'm fascinated by the prayer of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, at least some of which seems to be recorded in the 17th chapter of John's gospel. And you can imagine at this point in Jesus' life, as he's just hours from his arrest and the cross, he would pray about things that are central and vital. This is not the time to be messing with the stuff that doesn't matter that much. And a part of that prayer is, Father, make them one. Give them the same unity that you and I have. You and me and me and them. Make them one. In the last hours before his life, his prayer is that we would know the intimacy of connectedness with each other as the people of God. I think we wrestle with that because, honestly, it's a lot more demanding to think about other people's spiritual lives as well as our own than just having to worry about me. There's a lot more expected of us. And we tend to be so independent, we really don't want to mess that much with other people. I don't know how you you felt or feel about group projects, but, you know, most people are not all that thrilled about it. Now, I tended to, to like them for one reason because at least I had some affinity to them. One reason is because I was usually one of the slackers and the rest of the group, you know, moved me along. 
But the other part of it was uh, Cindy and I really became friends in a group project. And out of that, our relationship grew and we got married. So I do have a little bit more positive feelings about group projects than some people. But there's something in us that wants to say, look, if, if I'm going to fail this course, I want it to be because I failed it. Not because these sluggards over here didn't do what they were supposed to do. And so you get the syllabus out and you see, and it's 50% of it is this group project you're doing. Are you kidding me? Come on. When there's no group project and everyone's grade is their own, we come to the class and we approach the class basically as it's about me. Make sure I keep up with the readings. Make sure that, that I understand what's being talked about. I'm get, I understand what's, what I'm reading here. I, I'm, I'm staying current and I'm ready for whatever comes. All of that changes when you get in a group. If the, your grade is contingent on what everybody in the group does, now you're starting to think, are they staying up with the readings? Are they understanding what's being talked about? Are, are they getting what we're doing here? And when you realize they're not, you give time and energy, you sacrifice for your, of yourself to try to help people come along. Because we're in this thing together. In some sense, the church is sort of like an eternal group project. You know, we're, we're all in this thing together. You know, we, we, we have to care for each other. We, we have, we're called to sacrifice for each other, to, to pay attention to each other, to be connected to each other. We rise and fall together as the church, as the people of God. I think one of the most... I don't know, difficult, frustrating scriptures for me is the first verse of the seventh chapter of Joshua. In chapter six, the people of Israel have, have um, gone to Jericho. They've marched around the wall, you know, the six days. You know, I always wonder, what are the people of Jericho thinking as they look down and see these people walking around the wall? And then on the seventh day, they walk around seven times, they blow the trumpets and the walls fall down. And God says to them, there are going to be other cities that you conquer. And when you conquer those, the spoils are yours. But with this one, it's all mine. Don't take any of it. And they all obey except one guy, Achan. Achan sees some things that he likes, grabs them, hides them under his tent. And when they go to, to fight the next battle, disaster. And to get to chapter 7, verse 1, it says... Israel violated the instructions about the things set apart for the Lord. A man named Achan had stolen some of these dedicated things, so the Lord was very angry with Achan. He's very angry with the Israelites. And I read that and I think, wait a second, that's not fair. One guy stole some stuff and they all suffer the consequences. The more I've thought about that, I suspect... Somebody had to see Achan take that stuff. I mean, you're talking about hundreds of thousands of people, more than likely, in Israel as, as this battle's going on, at least tens of thousands. What are the, what's the likelihood that he could sneak that stuff out of Jericho and get it under his tent with absolutely no one knowing? And if someone saw him, seemingly no one said, what are you doing? Put that back. We all rise and fall together. 
When you get to Matthew 16, Jesus is talking with his disciples about, he asked them, who do people say that I am? And they give him a number of answers. He said, who do you think that I am? And Peter says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, Peter, you don't even know what you've declared. It's right. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. What is it that the gates of hell cannot overcome? An individual Christian? No, the church. It's the church that can stand up against the gates of hell. Because we rise and we fall together. There's a scene in in the movie Gladiator, which tells the story of General Maximus. Through a series of events, he... um, he goes from being a celebrated warrior, the favorite of one emperor, to being uh, a, uh, considered a traitor and the nemesis of another emperor. He comes to, to Rome not as in a parade or pageantry and wearing a, a laurel crown as he should. He's a war hero. But instead he comes in chains as a slave. And they bring him to the Roman Colosseum. And they've set up in the Colosseum that day uh, a reenactment of the Battle of Carthage in which the Romans decimated the barbarian horde. And Maximus and the dozen or so foot soldiers that are with him are the hapless Carthagians, the, uh, the horde of people the Romans are going to fight. And they come out of this dark tunnel into the bright light of the, of the Colosseum and the cheering, uh, bloodthirsty cheers of the crowd. And they stand in the middle of there looking around, wondering what's going to happen. And Maximus begins to understand what's going to happen. And he says to the men, all right, come on, gather around. Whatever comes out of these gates, we have a better chance if we work together. Do you understand? If we stay together, we survive. Stay together. Whatever comes out of these gates, stay together. And what comes out of those gates is sleek and strong and swift as gate after gate opens and horses with chariots and charioteers come racing out of them, hurling spears and shooting arrows. And a couple of of the guys with Maximus try to run on their own and they're cut down. And they get into a circle with their their backs to each other, shields up and swords ready, spears ready. And the chariots circle them tighter and tighter. And Maximus keeps saying, as one, as one. Stay together, as one, as one. And as the noose begins to tighten, it gets closer and closer. And then he yells, now. And they attack the chariots. And when the dust clears... Every one of those Roman charioteers is dead. Whatever comes out of those gates, stay together. That's how we survive. Because the people of God, we rise and fall together. And when you get to the end of this section of, of Hebrews chapter 10, the writer says... Let's not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. But let's encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. 
theories about what the day approaching means. And some people think it's about the imminent destruction of Jerusalem. Other people think it's about the imminent last days when, when the, Christ is going to return. But either way, the point's the same. There's an urgency about what we do. Because the enemy is tightening the noose. The opposition of the evil one is, is getting closer and closer and stronger and stronger. And he says, hold on to your faith. How in the world do you hold on to your faith? Not as an individual person, but as the people of God together. As people who are committed to each other, who are standing back to back, side by side, understanding if we stay together, we survive. And meeting together doesn't mean we just come to the same church. And it doesn't mean that we think about things the same way. It doesn't mean that we always agree about what, what, how we perceive things and how we do things. Meeting together means that even when we disagree, we stay connected to each other. Even when we have differences of opinion, we still care for each other and we're connected to each other and we sacrifice for each other. And we actually find joy in giving up things that we love because of what other people need. That's the body of Christ. And what's interesting is the call to sacrifice, the call to give up, is the means through which we grow and mature and become more like Christ who went to the cross not for himself but for us. He sacrificed everything because of our need. And he's calling us to do the same with each other. I love the way the message translates verse 24. Let's see how inventive we can be in sharing love and helping one another. Let's see how inventive we can be about connecting to each other and loving each other and being there for each other and sacrificing for each other. What if we spent time every day thinking... How can I help somebody else? How can I sacrifice something of me because someone else has a need in their life? And we started thinking creatively about ways to do that. What dramatic changes would take place in us as a body of believers and, and in us as individuals? Trying to think, trying to think this week how to image this. What, what should this? What does this look like? And and I thought it's a circle. And and the circle has a line down the middle and two sides. And on one side it says personal faith, the other side corporate faith. And you put the two together, and, and that makes that makes the whole. But as I pondered that, I realized I don't, I don't think that's right. I think it's not one circle; it's two circles. And the circle of our personal faith is enveloped in the circle of the corporate body of Christ. We still have to make a personal decision, an individual decision about what we're going to do with Jesus. Every one of us has to make that decision. But in the context, that decision is always made and is lived out in the context of the corporate body of believers. Because our personal faith in Christ is proven and grows and matures 
and becomes what Christ wants us to be in the context of the body of believers. And until we come to realize that we'll never truly experience all that God has for us and the fulfillment of what it means to be his children, we'll never truly know that until we begin to see our personal faith in the context of the corporate faith. And my prayer for us is that we will not only see that and believe that and embrace that, but that we will begin to think of creative ways to live that. Heavenly Father, as your people, as people who are here in this place today, some of us need to decide as individuals what we're going to do with Jesus. Some of us need to make the choice to surrender our lives to Christ. Many of us need to see our faith in the context of your people. Connected, loving, sacrificing, surrendering like Christ. Father, we pray that you will so bless us that we will live as you called us to live. Be your people. Lord, as we come to this table, we see here the personal and the corporate. We ask, Father, that that you would pour out your blessing on the bread and the cup, that as we receive them, we might know the assurance of our relationship with you and that we might know the power of relationship with each other in you. We ask this, Father, through the grace of Christ Jesus. Amen. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he gave thanks to the Father in heaven and he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples saying, take, eat. This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And on the same night, he took the cup. Again, he gave thanks to the Father in heaven and gave it to his disciples saying, drink from this, all of you. For this is my blood of the new covenant which is shed for your sins and the sins of all people. Every time you do this, do it in remembrance of me. As you are released by Rose to come to the front, tear off a piece of bread, dip it into the cup, eat it, and then you may return to your seat by the outside aisles. If you'd like to stay and pray at the altar, please feel free to do so. I always like to mention that we practice open communion at the Wesleyan Church. It might be the first time that you have ever worshipped here. But if you come today with your heart open to Christ and with a desire to live in fellowship with our brothers and sisters in Christ, then you are wholeheartedly invited to come and to receive these gifts in the loving hands of our gracious Heavenly Father.
invite you to stand, take your hymnals, and turn to number 434 as we sing together, Our God is Love and All His Saints. Receive the benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you, be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen.